Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Thursday, July 30th, 2009. And I think this is episode 247, if I remember right, of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, if I sound like my timing's off a little bit this morning, it's because I hit record a bit before I should have, and I'm dealing with the typical traffic that I deal with when I merge on I-20 off of Cooper Street and try to get across at least one lane so I don't get patterned in and held on to I-360 because, as always, this is being done from my personal mobile studio, my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI that is now free from the constraints of the idiots and the ass clowns on Highway 20. And I am on open road and traveling at about 70 miles an hour for, oh, I don't know, the next two minutes before I hit traffic again. Anyway... Let's kick off the show. As you know, I've been doing this new format, and I'm kind of digging this new format. That's where I give you kind of a short intro segment, a topic of some sort, a current event, done the best and worst of the ass clown talking about our president, uh, did a short intro yesterday on the colony, that new reality show, so we're going to keep doing that, and then we'll do our housekeeping, and then we get into the main topic of the show, this seems to make it flow better, and you don't sit around waiting just for housekeeping in the very beginning, so what are we going to talk about today in our initial intro segment? We're going to talk about a bunch of ass clowns, a, a, a massive conglomerate of ass clowns in the leadership of the Senate and the House and what they're doing against the will of the people. Um, Ron Paul, who is uh, probably one of the only politicians that's truly and indefinitely not an ass clown out there, at least at you know the national level. There's a couple that are okay, but not completely not an ass clown. Ron Paul is probably the only guy. And hence, when he puts legislation forward, it tends to almost never garner support from the rest of the House because, well, ass clowns generally don't support non-ass clowns. Let's just leave it at that, regardless of what their party affiliation is. Well, Ron Paul came forward with a bill to audit the Federal Reserve. And it's being blocked from coming to a vote on the House floor by none other than little mousy Nancy Pelosi. And I find it funny that she looks so much like a mouse and she acts like a mouse. And, you know, in the stimulus bill, we had to save a mouse that lives in her backyard. Um, I digress from that, though. We won't go into that. But... The leadership in the House is preventing this thing from coming to a vote, even though about half of the House have co-sponsored it. That's an vote co-sponsored it. No one gets a bill sponsored by 50% of the House, especially Ron Paul. Well, he did. Well, the Senate decides, you know what, some of the guys in the Senate that aren't complete ass clowns, you know what, if they're blocking it from a vote, what we can do is we can put together a Senate bill for the same thing. We'll get that passed. We throw it over the fence to them. 
them, and then they got to deal with it, because we've already passed it. And then they have to deal with it. They can't just bury it. So the Senate leadership is now blocking that with a procedural means from coming to a vote. In other words, there's enough support to pass this damn thing. And all this says is we will go in and look at the books at the Federal Reserve and see what they're doing and actually get a handle on it. It doesn't say that we'll do anything to them. It doesn't say that we'll stop them. It just says we will know the truth that they are unwilling to tell us. That is all. And it's being blocked. Now, why do I think it's being blocked? I think because the ass clouds are scared shitless of what will happen if we pull back the pages and we look at those books. And they're worried that it will absolutely tank the economy. Remember, I told you before, I am for this bill, but I also am prepared to deal with the consequences. And I think that the recession we've seen thus far will be nothing compared to what we'll see if we audit the Fed and we see what's really been done and the confidence in the U.S. economy is brought to an all-time low. I think it's the first step in rebuilding. I think that we have a patient with cancer that's going to have to have chemotherapy and we're going to have to push our patient to the edge of death to save him. I hate that it's that way, but the cancer is metastasized to that point. That's what we have with the Federal Reserve. So this is one of those times where maybe you want to waste your... You know, nickel, and call up your um, ass clowns, your two ass clown senators, and your ass clown congressmen. And unless Ron Paul's your congressman, they're probably ass clowns. And say, hey, you know what? I support this legislation. Whatever you can do matters. And if I see, you know, I know that maybe you can't get it done, but if I see you on the opposition side, buddy, I got my crosshairs on you. Be respectful, be nice, but let your voice be heard on this. This one's important. Just again, understand what you're asking for. All right, so with that, let's go ahead into, uh, and there's a link um, to a uh, an episode of uh, Freedom Watch with Judge Napolitano, who I'm going to be on there this fall with him, uh, discussing this, and I'll put a link in today's show notes for you so you can look at that. Uh, let's move on to uh, the housekeeping. Remember to support our advertisers. Today's advertiser of the day is Ready Made Resources. These guys have a plethora of survival and preparedness supplies. Amazing variety, great prices, great service. Check out ready-made resources. You can see their banner and the banner of all our advertisers in the right-hand column of our website, thesurvivalpodcast.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com, depending on where you're from, whether you say the or the. But it has to have the the or the. You go to survivalpodcast.com, you will not be at my site. Somebody else has that domain, and they want like to charge me like a million dollars for it or something, and I ain't paying that much for it. Um, the next one is, um, make sure you consider joining our forum, our discussion forum. I think you can get a lot out of it. The moderators over there work their butts off, and they're working tirelessly uh, to make it even better and more usable. I saw last night that um, Patriot was moving a bunch of posts uh, to new boards because they're creating sub-boards uh, in the uh, media and videos and books uh, board so that it's easier to find what you're looking for, and they're just constantly tweaking things and trying trying to make it better for you guys. And I've had a couple people email me that are international listeners, a couple from Britain, in fact, and one from Australia, asking me to to, to kind of encourage you, if you're an international listener, and I know we have them in Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Puerto Rico, um, 
Britain, uh, Europe. I know we have international listeners. Consider joining the forum and consider getting involved in the international board uh, just to reach out to other members so they know who you are. Even if you don't do a lot of posting in that board, post anywhere you like, but connect to your fellow international listeners. They're looking for you. They want to know you. Um, the next thing is, I don't say this enough because I don't get to do it as much as I want, but we do have a call-in number, 866-65-THINK. If you want to call in a question or a comment, and uh, sooner or later I, I get them spliced together and get them on the air for a comments or question show, uh, consider calling in, leave a message. You get two minutes, so be succinct to know what you want to say before you pick the phone up. Next, um, I, I, I've been forgetting to say this. I figured this out about a week ago. A lot of you guys were emailing me and saying, hey, dude, uh, I stopped getting the email updates when the show's published. And uh, what happened? What's going on? I think I figured it out. I think I figured it out. It seems to me that about 250 of the earliest people to sign up for the list got erased from the email database. I don't know if it was a mistake I made or a bug in the AWeber email system, one or the other, um, but if you were getting emails and all of a sudden they stopped about, let's say, two months ago, they just stopped showing up, and you check your spam filter and everything, just re-sign up. You probably are one of the ones who got deleted if you want to get email updates. Email updates are great. Basically, once a day you get an email saying the new show's published with a little summary of what it's about. Um, I've been continuing to work on my book list. People ask me when the um, re- like descriptions in my reviews and thoughts on the books are coming. Probably over the next week or two. Uh, right now I'm just getting all the titles of the books I highly recommend with links to Amazon. And uh, if you're going to buy those books from Amazon, Amazon, please, uh, you know, if you're going to buy anything from Amazon, go to my book list page, click on it, then buy whatever you're going to buy from Amazon, even if it's not on my book list, you'll help support the show, because uh, I'll get credit as the referral uh, to Amazon. If you can get the book cheaper or at a better price or with better service somewhere or other than Amazon, I think I make about 50 to 80 cents on the average book. Don't sweat it. Go buy it somewhere else. And last but not least, if you think the show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, consider joining the member support. Brigade. You'll get exclusive content only available to members for a contribution of $5 a month or $50 a year. And you can get more information about Member Support Brigade in today's show notes. There's also a banner for it at the website, thesurvivalpodcast.com. All right. Next thing we need to do is get on into today's actual show topic, which is going to be on storing food and different methods and, and means by which you can get that done. Before we um, before we do that, though, let's talk a little bit about why. And I guess plenty of people here uh, already understand why, but I think it's important that we revisit it often because I think what you might end up with is the point where you're sitting here going, "Well, duh, you have to store food. It's the you know one of the main things to keep you alive: food, water, shelter. If you have those three, you can live. You might not be happy, but you can live. So of course you need it, but." When you're talking to people about preparations and you're trying to win over your neighbors and your friends and your family because basically you care about them and you are that cut and dry with it, I think sometimes they don't, they're not as receptive as they could be. And it doesn't get sold as easily as you could be selling the concept to them and at least getting a little bit interested where they might sort it out for themselves over, you know, a certain period of time. 
so I think maybe we have to put it in perspective. And, and I talk to a lot of people that are, you know, like, why don't you do more about wilderness survival and, you know, primitive skills and uh, land navigation and, and things like that. If you're lost in the wilderness, what do you do? Because um, the reason I don't do that is I've been in situations where I've, you know, been dead-ass broke with no money. Um, I look at the... the world scene, and I see places where there could be food shortages. I see where there could be natural disasters. I see where there could be disease pandemics. I see all types of threats out there that could get thrust upon me, whether I want it or not. But I've absolutely never been lost in the wilderness, ever. And I've gone to the wilderness a lot. But I always go prepared. And I ask these people, how many times have you been lost in the wilderness for more than 24 hours uh, and in survival situations in the wilderness that were not by choice? In other words, if you went out and ran a drill, that's different. You know, you went out and played Les Stroud for a day or whatever, that's fine. But have you ever been actually lost in the wilderness? And most of them are like, no. And I'm like, have you ever been dead-ass broke and wondered if you were going to have enough money to buy groceries next week? And almost to a T, they say yes. I say, have you ever lost a job and weren't sure if you were going to be able to find a new one anytime soon? And they say yes. I say, have you ever been sick? Have you ever gotten a disease? Are you immune to all diseases? And they say, uh, uh, no. And I say, have you ever been hungry? Ever been really hungry and you were really glad there was some food available? And they're like, uh-huh. I'm like, okay, see, that's why I focus on practical preparations for everyday people so that they can have more self-sufficient lives that are not as dependent upon the systems of support that everybody takes for granted because those are all facts and reality. And that is reality. There is the propensity at any moment in time for one thing to occur and that one thing to create a chain reaction. It could be a trucker's strike, something that boring and mundane, that puts a severe wrinkle in the food supply. So that's just one reason that I focus so much on things like food storage and you know long-term sustainability with some level of just reserve food supply. But there's more to it than that. There was a, I can't remember what blog it was, but I read a blog post uh, that I, I mentioned on the air long ago. God, it had to be eight, nine months ago. Where a guy, it might have been a down-in-the-hill survival blog. That might have been it. I'm not sure if that's the one or not. But the guy was talking about how if you... Um, If you don't have any food and you're hungry, getting more food is really, really difficult. It's hard. But if you have plenty of food and you have space and time to work with and you're not pressured and you're not going to go to bed hungry tonight, you just know that, okay, I've got like 30 days worth of food and I'm going to be out of food. And you know that the disaster that you're in is going to last longer than 30 days. Then getting more food is actually pretty easy between foraging, between growing, between hunting, uh, between bartering, all these different things. When you have some food, it's almost always possible for you to sort out how to get more. But when you don't have any food, when you're out, then things take on a whole new light. And um, that's another reason I store food, because that dude was right. I mean, he wasn't the most articulate guy the way he wrote this. He's like, see, if you got more food, see, then you get more food, you see, is easy. You know, it was like phrased like that or something. I don't remember exactly, but I was thinking, this guy's not the most articulate writer, but boy, he's spot on. 
So those are why I talk about storing food. Just a couple reasons anyway. Let's get into some methods of food storage and how you can make sure that you have a lot of food around stored in a lot of different means um, from a lot of different sources with a lot of variety so that you don't get bored if you're eating your preps and so that you can follow the old adage of eat what you store and store what you eat. One of my favorite and I think most overlooked methods of storage for the modern prepper is called dehydration. Dehydration is the original method of storing food. Before there was anything else, before there was canning, before anybody figured out how to freeze stuff, before anybody dug a hole in the ground and made a root cellar, before anybody figured out that you could smoke meat and extend its life, before any of that, there was putting food out in the sun and letting it dry out. It's the original method of dehydration. And a lot of our staples like beans, pasta, rice, basically utilize that method. Um, but we don't think of it that way because they, they come that way. You buy rice, it's already dried. You buy beans, they've already been dried. And they don't really go out and dehydrate them the way that we think of when we think of dehydrating something like a zucchini chip or a pepper uh, or a tomato or any of the other vegetables, or any of the other meats that we might dehydrate. It's kind of a different process. It's kind of a natural state for wheat to be that way, or for rice to be that way, or for a pinto bean to be that way. Where it's not a natural state for a green pepper, uh, that should the half of which should be the size of your hand, to be dehydrated down to uh, the size of your thumbprint. It's not a natural state for that pepper. But it's, it's an extremely preservative method. And there's a couple different ways that you can do it. One, you can just put some big, giant screens out in the sun and uh, prep your vegetables. And some vegetables need to be blanched for dehydration to work well. Uh, these include things like potatoes. You can dehydrate your own potatoes. That's a pretty cheap way to put away a lot of food, by the way, folks. Um, if you go out and find potatoes on sale when they're, you know, they're in pretty good shape, but the, you know, the store just looks at them and goes, okay, there's nothing wrong with them yet, but, uh, uh, they've been here a while and we need to get rid of them and get some rotation going on. And you take opportunity to buy on that, you can go home and dehydrate potatoes. And those need to be blanched. And a lot of different vegetables need to be blanched. And I think one of the best resources that I've found for learning more about dehydration is a YouTube channel, uh, by a person over there that calls themselves Dehydrate to Store with two being the number two, dehydrate to store. So it's youtube.com slash user slash dehydrate to store. And I'll put a link to her YouTube channel and you can check her out. She does some really great things with dehydration. And she explains a lot about the blanching process. And blanching is either steaming or boiling uh, the food and cooking it partially. You can also dehydrate meat. I love making biltong. Biltong is my favorite thing in the world to make um, out of meat. Absolutely love it. And uh, there's if you just go to the survivalpodcast.com and search for Biltong, I think there's at least one whole show on nothing but how to do it. And uh, it is a method of making meat into a jerky-like substance. I, it is not jerky. 
It is so far from jerky, it's unbelievable. Uh, the meat is cut much thicker, and it's dehydrated in the shade during a dry period of the year. Or, if it's humid out in your area, dehydrated, hanging from strings in an air-conditioned room. And uh, it might look a little funny in your house, it's hanging there for a week to a week and a half, but that'll happen. And a lot of people build these things called biltong boxes. You can look them up online. I think they are a complete waste of time. You don't need them. Unless you live in a humid area and you don't have air conditioning, you do not need a biltong box. All you have to do is treat the meat and hang it up, and it'll take care of itself. And that's how the original dehydration methods were done. Another thing that you can do that will speed your dehydration and get things dehydrated much more quickly is utilizing a solar dehydrator. And there's a couple different ways to build them. I'll post a link to some plans uh, in today's show notes as well. And uh, I'm actually going to be building one sooner or later this summer. I'm going to get around to building a solar dehydrator. I just think it's a great idea to uh, to kind of move toward even more self-sufficiency and reduce the risk of things like insects infecting your food while it's trying to dehydrate, uh, rain coming in, or other things like that. You can mitigate that by using a solar dehydrator and simply getting things done quicker. And uh, pretty easy process. It's basically a chute with a pane of glass over it, painted black on the inside that conducts heat. And that chute has an open bottom, and it leads into a uh, basically a box with some screens in it. And you put your food on those screens, and that hot air moves through the box. And it doesn't really heat the food up at all. It's just hot, dry air moving through the box. And it just, as you would imagine, speeds things up. The other thing that you could do is go ahead and out and buy an electric dehydrator. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And if you want to be completely self-sufficient, um, one of the first little solar or wind projects you could do with a battery bank is building a battery bank sufficient with a little AC inverter um, to run a dehydrator, an electric dehydrator. And um, trust me, they don't use very much. They're a very low-draw device. It's basically a fan and a little bit of warmth. Um, they use about the same amount of electricity as something like a slow cooker. Uh, which is one of the most efficient methods electronically of cooking in the world. It's uh, very low draw. So it doesn't take much to run most of the little uh, electric dehydrators, so that might be something to consider. Now, dehydration is cool because once your food's dehydrated, it can last for years. And the, the easiest thing you can do with dehydrated food is get yourself the same kind of jars uh, that you would can with. Uh, of whatever size you want based on what you're storing, and uh, just place the food in those jars and seal the lids. Now, if you want long-term storage, you can drop an O2 absorber in there. That'll help uh, even a bit more, but you really don't need to do that in most instances. Um, You get a great storage life simply by keeping things clean and dry and covered in a dark pantry. The next method I really encourage you to learn more about is canning. Canning is not just for fruits and vegetables. It's not just for making jelly. Uh, You can can meat, and it's a great way to preserve and put up meat. Uh, I recently mentioned that uh, I'd canned some lamb, and it made wonderful lamb stew. Basically, it it comes out with its own gravy when you dump it out of the can. And uh, you add some potatoes and celery and heat it up. You know, you you can pre-cook your potatoes and your celery and maybe a couple carrots uh, in the gravy. And then once they get soft, you just dump your lamb in and cut it up any further than than it already is that you want it. Mix that together, and oh my God, that's wonderful. And it's a hell of a lot less expensive than going out and buying canned stews and soups. And it's all made with fresh ingredients, and you can grow your own celery, potato, and carrots. And if you wanted to, I guess you could even raise your own lambs if you're into that level of self-sufficiency. Uh, if you're a hunter, 
and you bring a lot of meat home every year, you can can just about anything you can shoot. You can can squirrel meat. Can squirrel is another one of those things that you know people just wouldn't ever think of. But um, squirrels can be tough, especially your older squirrels. Uh, well, if you just quarter them up, like you're quartering a little mini deer, and uh, process them in a canner, you end up with very tender squirrel, and that makes very good squirrel stew. Uh, you can can rabbit, you can certainly can deer, moose, elk, bear, you name it. In fact, canning bear is another, uh, if you happen to be lucky and score a black bear, uh, bear meat can also be tough, especially older sows, older boars. Uh, can be pretty tough, and canned it gets very tender because of the pressure cooking uh, that you do to it. So consider canning and learning how to can and starting to experiment with stuff. You know, don't be adverse to going out and finding a good deal on beef roast and putting up a couple pounds of beef roast in your own can just to learn from the process. Um, it, it'll it'll help you out a lot, and it'll give you the ability to have storage that works, you know, for for proteins and meats without refrigeration. The next uh, thing that I think we just need to be re- re- have reality about is simple storable goods, and basically that is when you go into the grocery store, if it ain't in the meat and dairy case, and it ain't in the freezer section, and it ain't in the in the, in the deli, um, it probably will store for a at least six months, if not longer. It's on the shelves. It's about anything there. So anything you eat regularly that you can buy at the supermarket, consider making it part of your storage. In fact, it's where your storage should begin. Go through your pantry. Look in your pantry. When you have something in a can or a box that you eat often, go buy more of it. That's the safest food storage you'll ever do from you know not ending up with a big pile of food you never eat. Because if you know you eat it now... Having more of it, sooner or later you're going to eat it. It's a safe investment. You're going to spend the money anyway. So I don't need to say a lot about storable goods um, other than make sure that you're not so dedicated to this concept of, you know, MREs and Mountain House and, and, and buckets of wheat and barley and, and beans uh, that you're ignoring the simple everyday things that you use that store well. Make sure you're storing those. And those include things like canned meats that you might use from the store. Now, I do not like I can't be from a store. I just think it's it doesn't work. I don't know why. They can't seem to pull it off. But canned chicken, turkey, and the canned fishes tend to come out pretty decent, and I have a, a real affinity myself for sardines and kibber snacks. So things like that are things I consider stuff like that. Uh, again, I can't tell you how many times i talk to radio people. What about spam? And it's like, if you don't like spam, don't bite. If you like spam, sure, it's a great storage thing. Um, the next one is... You know, long shelf life goods. This is where we move into rice, beans, pastas, all these things that have extremely long storage lives that are very inexpensive, that can be stored in bulk in five-gallon buckets. Uh, you might want to add, you know, uh, O2 absorbers, uh, Mylar bags, whatever, if you want to create your own really long-term storage options. Um, hard red winter wheat is probably the best storing wheat, but there's a lot of varieties of hard wheat that store very, very very long term. All I'm going to caution you is things like the pasta, the beans, the rice. Um, Don't just buy it and store it and never use it. Make sure that you're making it part of your cooking and your rotations. Wheat is the one that I think a lot of survivalists go out and buy, you know, enough wheat to fill up 10 five-gallon buckets. They put it in mylar, they seal it up, and they put it on a, you know, in a shelf somewhere. And yeah, 10 years from now, it'll still be edible. It'll still be good to eat. 10 years, no problem. In fact, if you put it in a five-gallon bucket, sort it in the dark, and it was dry in that five-gallon bucket, no mylar, no O2 
absorber. As long as no rodents got into that bucket on you, uh, as long as it was kept dry and it was kept in reasonable climate control, 10 years, still going to be good, even without all the extra steps. But... You know, if you ever got to a point where you have to eat that stuff, it'd be nice if you knew what to do with it, you were accustomed to cooking with it, you are already making a part of your diet. And trust me, folks, all the bad press wheat gets is because we eat white flour in America. That's that's what kills um, wheat is a nutritional value. Whole wheat um, is absolutely one of the most nutritious things you can put in your mouth. So consider making those part of your, uh, your storage uh, philosophy and consider using them, you know, Make some wheat nuts. Cook up some, cook up some whole wheat bread. Get a gr- you're going to need a grinder if you're going to store wheat. Pastas, that's easy, right? You can have a whole bucket full of different types of pastas. Occasionally, open that daggone bucket up and pull one of those boxes out and use your pastas. Um, pastas are another great, easy, inexpensive way to store calorie dense nutrition uh, that can be used in a variety of ways that most people use anyway and find um, pleasing to their diets. Uh, Dehydrated potatoes, whether you, you know, we already talked about doing it yourself, but if you buy dehydrated potatoes, they basically last for almost ever. It's unbelievable how long dehydrated potatoes last. Uh, so that's another thing that kind of goes in that category to me. The next one is, you know, the MREs, the mountain house, the providing pantry, the stuff that's made for the prepper world. I think they have a place in your pantry. They're just not all. They're just not it. They're just not the only things. Um, but slowly acquiring those things over time. And again, most of them are pretty dadgone good. Occasionally use them, eat them, and rotate them. They do not have an indefinite 80-year shelf life. Uh, it's a good idea, again, to know how to use them, to know what you like and what you don't like, to buy a little bit of this and a little bit of that, to not go out and buy a truckload of the stuff, especially before you've tried it and you know what you're going to enjoy using. You know, buy a variety and sample the variety. Make it part of your meal planning. And when you look, eat something and everybody in the family goes, that sucks, and you just, it doesn't agree with you, don't buy that again. And if you find the things you buy, stock up on those. I'll tell you right now, MREs are not the most wonderful things in the world. You're talking to a man that ate them for lunch for six straight months. For six months in Honduras, I ate an MRE for lunch every single day. And uh, back then, there were only 12 varieties. And two of them I classified as inedible. There was a ham slice that was like a gross, greasy piece of spam and ham mixed together. And then there was one called omelet with ham, which had that same stuff in a cold egg that came out of a foil bag. Both of those I couldn't even eat. So I was down to 10, and a couple of the 10 weren't the greatest in the world either. So MREs, I'm not really fond of. I'm much more fond of products like Providing Pantry, Mountain House, Yoders. That stuff's actually pretty doggone good. Now, if you could get your hands on some of the older, uh, what they call T-rations from the military. And these are big, giant tins of dehydrated foods that are designed to feed a large quantity of soldiers with one can. Uh, there'll be things like uh, meat patties and stuff like that. That stuff was pretty good. I've never seen it available for sale. 
the stuff that the military buys in that configuration. That stuff has amazing shelf life to it. And uh, we would occasionally in Honduras get, uh, the cooks might have an extra can of something and give it to us. And uh, we'd cook it up right in the can in our uh, in our tents uh, on a Sunday when they actually let us have beer in, uh, in Honduras. That was the only days we could really drink beer in any quantity and the only day we were off. So we'd sit around and maybe that night we'd get the munchies after you've had a few more beers than maybe you should. And soldiers drink, folks. Um, we would uh, we'd cook up like a whole tin of like pork patties or whatever, and and everybody eat three or four, which is more than you ever got for dinner. So uh, I I kind of remember those fondly, and maybe they don't taste as good as I think they do, but they seem pretty damn good at the time. So if you ever get an opportunity to pick some of those things up, uh, consider it. Now again, these are called tea rations. Sea rations were the stuff like back in Vietnam and back that our soldiers had for individual servings. Tea rats are big, giant, dehydrated, uh, designed for feeding like platoon size and larger units uh, for cooks to use. The next one I would suggest that you look at is, and I know people are going to say, like, this is my excuse to make beer and mead, but making beer, meads, and wines is just a great way to store food. It really is. Um, because what you're doing is you're using the fermentation process and the natural uh, storage uh, ability and, and uh, antibacterial nature, uh, antiviral nature of alcohol. And with that, you can create things that not only store well, but actually get better in time. You give me a good bottle of mead today, I put it in the cellar for a, a year, and you can come back in a year, it's a better bottle of mead in most situations. Um, so, I would look into that and, uh, you know, check out John McKissick's, uh, you know, cra- uh, what's a Brew Crazy uh, podcast that I uh, was on as a guest one time. Uh, Johnny Max, as he calls himself on the air, and his wife, the Queen, and uh, Raybow, and all those guys over at the Brew Crazy podcast. You can learn everything you need to know just by listening to their podcast about how to make beer, wines, and meads. And uh, on that note, while I get a chance to give Johnny a pitch, he started up a self sufficiency podcast. It was pretty good. You guys might want to check it out. I'll see if I can get a link in today for them uh, in the show notes, but mead, wines, and beer let you do things like, you know that peach tree that's got all those peaches on it, and half of them have been kind of bothered by bugs, and you, you don't really want to eat them, and you, you know, but what you can do is go through and cut off all the good parts that haven't been molested on a couple pounds of peaches, and put that in some hot water and steam it out, and make a peach mead that you'll die for. So it allows you to use things that maybe you would normally discard or compost and actually make them into something pretty special. Um, a lot of times uh, blackberries are another example. Wild blackberries, small, a little bit too tart, not the greatest thing in the world to eat fresh, but making them into jelly, awesome. Make them into mead, way awesome. A blackberry mead will stand up next to uh, some of California's best Cabernets. So consider that as a method of food storage. Uh, root cellaring is huge if you have the luxury of building a root cellar where you're at. If the ground is right, if you're not living in a place where it's 180 degrees, you know, where it's just too hot anyway, it ain't going to matter if, you, if you're that shallow in the ground. But if you have the option to put in a root cellar, it's something I definitely recommend as an investment in your property. 
property and in your lifestyle. It will give you a, a, a more storage space, first of all. Space, as you get up into like, the, you know, go past 90 days and start getting towards six months or more worth of food storage, space becomes a problem. Where do you put all this stuff? If you live up north, you probably have a basement. You're blessed. If you live down in the south, a lot of the places down here, they just don't build basements with houses. Because the soil's wrong, we can't have basements. In Texas, for instance, because of all the clay in the soil, we have enough foundation problems. You have basements in, houses will be falling down 15 years after they're built. So they put them in on slabs. So you can put a root cellar in, you get the extra space, you get another way to store food where it'll last a lot longer because of the, the cool, moist nature of the root cellar. Uh, but you also have a pretty good fortification if you end up under a heavy storm uh, with tornado activity and things like that. You build a good solid root cellar, you're going to be safe down there even if your house, God forbid, is blown down. So root cellaring is one I really suggest you consider. Smoking's a, a great one. And uh, we're getting deep into the show now, 35 minutes in almost, so I won't go deep into smoking today, but I'll tell you that it can extend the storage life of things like fish and meats uh, and cheese. You can smoke cheese and it'll really add to its storage capacity even without refrigeration. And uh, one way you can really extend the life of your, your smoked cheese, and I just heard from a guy that smoked some cheese and was eating it for almost a year before he threw the last little bit of it away because it got a little bit moldy. Uh, once you have your smoked cheese, you can do this with any cheese, if you moisten the outside start rolling it in coarse salt and eventually you form a, rind, a salt rind around your cheese it'll last for damn near ever as long as it's not any place warm enough for it to melt um, and that's an old technique and it root cellar good place to store your uh, rinded cheeses as well so look into smoking cold smoking especially um one really great way to make canned fish something special is smoke it before you can it. So think about how you can combine these methods together. Um, smoke up a little venison. Don't don't cook it. Just cold smoke it. And don't smoke it long enough to where you'd be ready to eat it. Give it some flavor and then can it. Can some smoked venison. Absolutely a special treat when you open it up, you know, in springtime when deer season's a long way away and you've got a nice little can full of smoked venison to do something with uh, in the kitchen. So consider that. Don't discount freezing, but I think I, I've saved it almost for last because it's the most unreliable method for long-term storage. Things in freezers get freezer burned. Uh, the power goes out, the freezer doesn't work anymore. But the freezer, especially a nice little chest freezer, can be a good source of additional meats and things that, that you know you don't have room for in your typical side-by-side or you know top-bottom freezer refrigerator method, adding that deep freezer at some point, once you have a reasonable supply of food uh, that doesn't require refrigeration and freezing saved up, 30, 60 days worth at least, and then look at adding that chest freezer. There's a lot of utility there, and if you have a garden, uh, it gives you the, the option of just blanching your vegetables and tossing them into some Ziploc bags and deep freezing them. And uh, as long as the power's there, you've got that additional food. And if you lose power, and you know it's going to be a long time, you make the eating of that food and the preser- preserving of that food your number one priority. But until that happens, it's there. So don't be afraid to rely on it to some degree. Because uh, I get a lot of utility out of my chest freezer. One of the cool things I like to do at the end of the year that ends up going in the freezer is I make bacon jalapenos. Now, I like bacon and cheese jalapenos, and that's how I make them 
them fresh. I'll take a jalapeno, split it in half. Take all the seeds and the, and the white part out. Put a little piece of cheddar cheese in there. And you can use other varieties of cheese. I like cheddar best. Take half a piece of bacon, wrap it around your uh, jalapeno pepper. And uh, if you have problems with it staying wrapped, usually you just kind of squeeze it and it'll stay wrapped. Uh, but if you have any problems, you can put a toothpick for it, cook that on the grill. So the bacon gets just about semi-crisp and the pepper's done to your liking. If you, the longer you cook a jalapeno, the less hot it'll be. And if you get all the white part out and you cook it till it's well cooked, there's almost no heat left in them unless you're you know, growing really hot super hot jalapenos, but your more mild varieties, that'll cook most of the heat out of them. You get all that flavor, very little heat. Even my wife can eat them. And uh, I swear to God, when I met my wife, she's Dutch. When I first met my wife, she thought ketchup was freaking spicy. I would cook chicken with a little bit of lemon pepper on it, and she'd be like, it's hot. It burns my mouth. Now she eats jalapenos. Go figure. Uh, But what you can do with the freezer is leave the cheese out. Take your jalapenos, wrap them in a piece of bacon, and this time you really don't need to worry about toothpick at all. Squeeze them really tight so that bacon stays wrapped. Lay them out on a cookie sheet on wax paper. Throw them in your freezer. Once they're solid, pitch them into a Ziploc bag. Then do it again and keep doing it to all you know all your surplus jalapenos that you want to preserve this way are wrapped in a piece of bacon and frozen. Now, why the cookie sheet? Because that way they stay individual. They don't all clump together. If you just threw them in a bag, they'd be in a big block. You'd have to defrost a whole bag of them before you, you could uh, use them. If you do them with a cookie sheet, laying them out individually and freezing them hard before you put them into a Ziploc bag, you can have a great big gallon Ziploc bag with about 100 of them in there. And you decide today, I want a half a dozen of them to cook with dinner. We can go in and pull out a half a dozen, leave them frozen, throw them on the grill while they're frozen. They'll cook up great. If you want some cheese, mix up some queso and use uh, the dip method to apply your cheese. That's a little bonus uh, segment today on cooking and storing from Jack. And uh, the last thing is don't discount things like storing food in the ground. I mean, you can do things like with uh, carrots and turnips and stuff like that. If it, if it gets cold at your winter period, you live in the northern part of the United States, but it doesn't freeze the ground solid. It's just cold. Um, or if you get the ground to freeze, it's only the top layer. Where you, as long as you're not up where you get permafrost, right? You take your turnips, uh, your rutabagas, your carrots and things like that, and just bury them in about a foot deep of straw. And you can keep them in the ground right through the winter that way. And whenever you need a couple, you go out, pull your straw back. Even if there's a layer of snow, you have to move out of the way. Pull them out of the ground and have fresh uh, produce right out of the ground. It's almost like root celery, except it's less work. And there's quite a few vegetables that you can do that with, so you might want to do a little research on that. So I know today was maybe a little slower pace than normal. You get all excited and jumping up and down and yelling and screaming or, or anything like that. Um, but... You know, once in a while we have to just kind of sit back and, and take it easy and really assess what are the methods to get things done, what are the actions to take. Now, the actions that I gave you today, the methods that I gave you today, if you do a little bit of each one just to learn how to do it, over the next 60 days, you go out and you buy a few long-term storables and figure out a filing method, a preserving method, a, a, a rotational method, so that you can be buying pastas and still using pastas and making sure that you're you know, bringing stuff to the front after, and, and replacing it. Just a little bit of that. You go out and uh, learn to cook with some, some hard wheat. Get yourself a wheat grinder. Uh, you learn a little bit about to smoke some stuff, preserve some cheese, uh, blanch some vegetables, do some dehydrate. Just a little bit of each one, you're going to end up with 30 to 60 days worth of food. 
just in teaching yourself all these methods. The food will be there because it will be the byproduct of what you're doing. On the canning, I'm going to recommend again that you look into taking a class of your local college or community college and continue education. They usually have them. Somebody made a great suggestion on the blog as well. Check out your county extension office. Now, I checked my county extension office here in Tarrant County. It doesn't look like to do anything like that, but quite a few people told me their county extension office does training on canning uh, and their classes are like 10 to 15 bucks versus like the 50 to 75 colleges would usually charge for the same type of thing. And check out and see if maybe your community has a community canning center. I know some towns are fortunate they have like a community center and they have canning materials there and they run canning days where people can just come in and show up with your stuff, use the equipment and materials that are there. Uh, all you have to bring is your stuff and your jars and your lids and your rings. Do all your canning there with some advice. Take it all home and store it. So check in options like that. My point here, though, is if you do a little bit of all of this, you'll, a couple things will happen. One, magically, by the time you're done teaching this stuff to yourself, you'll have a whole bunch of food stored up. So that's ticked off the box and out of the way. Probably 60 days worth if you did it all. Two, you'll have new skill sets. All right? But three, your pantry will be made up of extreme variety. Variety of food and variety of preservation method. And that gives you more self-sufficiency. Because when you become dependent on any one thing or technology, it's always a weakness. The more variety that you have in your preservation and your preparation, the better off you'll be. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. I want to share one thing with you at the end today, though. Uh, one of my regular listeners that sends me a lot of uh, information sent me an article today that was called Surviving the End of Civilization, and it was how to invest. So not all of this is going to ring true, but they had six things, and you tell me how many ring true for you um, in the article. I'll post a link so you can read the whole article. Again, it's called Surviving the End of Civilization in 2050, and the author is kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but he basically said all the stuff about the end doesn't tell the investor what to do. Uh, number one is point was greed is good because your family comes first so it wasn't necessarily greed is a bad thing but the, that's a loud motorcycle going by if you're wondering so greed is good take care of your family first hoard things have more than you need Right, and what, it, having what you need means I can go to the grocery store on Friday and I have enough till then. He'll have more than that. Was his point? Um, invest in Coldman Sachs. He said because they're the greediest of the greedy, and they practice the greed is good philosophy. So there was some straight up investment advice. I don't know if I agree with that, but if you look at their stock price, they haven't tanked like everybody else. Um, <laughs> get this. Uh, be frugal. Stock. Uh, beer and hoard things. Stock up. That's what he's saying. Be frugal and stock up. Every he said that every millionaire is frugal. They live below their means. Um, the next thing he said was return to your roots. So make sure you uh, remember what it was like in this country just a hundred years ago. So make sure when you're stocking up and you're being greedy and having more than you need, among those you include things like seeds and fertilizer, along with food and wine, and have more than you need of it. Return to your roots. It says also, remember this is an investor, invest in the defense industry. 
So all these big defense contractors that are cutting costs right now and having to downsize and having their stocks go down, he's saying they're good buys. And the reason he says they're good buys is because wars are coming because of global shortages. Um, the last thing he said is accept death as a reality. That we really need to realize that all things come to an end, be they human lifetimes, be they eras, or be they civilizations. Accept that, it'll change your outlook. So I thought it was a kind of a cool little article that uh, was sent to me. And if you want to, uh, if you want to check out that article, uh, I'll put a link to it in today's show notes. And I think you'll find it interesting. It's about a two-page article. It's fairly well written. And I just gave you six little points that are kind of in the middle of it. And you can uh, check it out and get some more out of it if you want. So hopefully that changes things up even a little bit more. A little uh, filler at the end there for you. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter. Get spent